the Old Testament reading is from Deuteronomy, chapter 4, beginning in verse 9. And then for the New Covenant reading, we'll go to Hebrews, chapter 12. Let's hear the word of the living God. Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. How on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me, that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children so. And you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven, wrapped in darkness, cloud, and gloom. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. And he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform. That is the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. The Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and rules. That you might do them in the land that you are going over. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully, since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb, out of the midst of the fire. Beware, lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water under the earth. And beware lest you raise your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the hosts of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them. Things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of his own inheritance, as you are this day. Furthermore, the Lord was angry with me because of you. And he swore that I should not cross the Jordan, that I should not enter the good land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. For I must die in the land and must not go over the Jordan, but you shall go over and take possession of that good land. Take care, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make a carved image, the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. When you father children and children's children and have grown old in the land, if you act corruptly, by making a carved image in the form of anything, and by doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God, so as to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will 
soon utterly perish from the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. You will not live long in it, but will be utterly destroyed. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And you, there you will serve gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you search after him all your heart and with all your soul when you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter day you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice for the Lord your God is a merciful God he will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them here is the reading of God's word from the old covenant Turn to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 to 29. will be the reading from the New Covenant. Let's hear the word of God from Hebrews chapter 12, beginning at verse 18. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels and festal gatherings and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking, For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. May God bless the reading of his word. The historic setting of Deuteronomy, you could almost summarize it as second chances because the people of God had one opportunity to go into the promised land and they blew it. Um, They sent spies in, the spies came back and the spies said, we can't possibly do this. Only Caleb said we can do it because God is with us. And so God said, that's it, I'm fed up with you. 
paraphrasing, of course, scripture. But they said, oh, no, we'll do it. We'll go anyway. And God actually told them, don't go. And they went anyway, and they got beaten. And then that whole generation, that whole generation that had been at Mount Sinai, also called, called Mount Horeb, perished, were cursed by God, and they all died in the wilderness wandering around. Deuteronomy describes Moses, who survived that, obviously, telling them, remember what you saw, what your parents saw at Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb. Remember that. The people who saw what God did in Egypt, who were living in Egypt, were all dead because they disobeyed God. Now, this new generation is going to go across the Jordan, going to go across the Promised Land, going to renew the covenant made at Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb in Deuteronomy. They're going to renew it. They're going to say promise, so they promise to do this and promise to do that and so forth. And they, they go through the renewal of that covenant before they're going into the promised land. And they had actually, this new generation had also actually gone to war against two kings, King Sihon and King Og, and they defeated those nations and they killed Every man, woman, and child in those two kingdoms, that's part of what God commanded them to do. And so here we are, Deuteronomy 4, 5, before this passage I just read, where Moses says, See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding. And in the passage I just read in Deuteronomy, chapter 4, verses 9 to 31, Moses goes on to emphasize two crucial things. One is the danger of disobeying one particular commandment that they should never, ever forget one of the commandments that God gave, which relates to idolatry. The other thing they should remember is what was the experience at Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb? What was it that you experienced there? And they should remember that experience and tell it to their children and their grandchildren. Moses is saying, I'm telling you, fathers, you teach it to your children and your grandchildren. And there's no, no, no surprise to us in the New Covenant that Paul says the same kind of thing in Ephesians chapter 6, verse Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So this is fatherly homeschooling, if you will. So what was experienced at Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai on the mountain? On the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, gather the people to me, see that that I may let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth and that they may teach their children so. And so you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven, wrapped in darkness, cloud, and gloom. And the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of saw no form, there was only a voice. And he declared to you his covenant, the 
which he commanded you to perform. What they saw was a mountain with essentially what the theologians called the theophany, a visible appearance of God, not a body, but fire from heaven, surrounded by a dark cloud and thick darkness. So I suppose you could say this is a unique thunderstorm or a unique fire because it's going all the way up as far as you can see and it's dark and gloomy and they heard God's voice. The whole people heard God's voice. And what did the voice of God tell them? His covenant. His words. What did God do? He wrote them all on stone. Originally. And God told Moses, you teach them all the rules. You teach them all the commandments. What should they have learned from that event? What should they have learned from that event? Well, go back to verse 9. The adults are to remember and to teach their children what? It says, only take care. And that word take care could be guard. So only guard, only like the first primary thing you need to do is take care or guard and keep watch over your very soul. I added the very in there for emphasis. Keep watch over your soul diligently, very greatly, very seriously. Watch over your soul, the very essence of your being. Lest you forget what your eyes have seen And what your eyes have seen departs from your heart. You forget it. And make this known to your children and your children's children. So the core issue here is the heart, the soul of a human being. The most valuable thing you have is not the clothing on your back, your bank account, your car, your house. Your very soul is the most important thing you have. It is eternal. And here God through Moses is telling the people of God, take care of it. Take care of your soul. Watch over it. Guard it. Very greatly, very seriously, guard your soul. Remember what you saw, people. You saw God. No, you saw a pillar of fire. You saw gloom. All you saw was this fire and gloom and cloud, dark cloud. But you heard the very voice of God. That voice told you, do not make anything with your human hands and worship it. And do not look up to heaven, to the sun, the moon, the stars, and worship the sun, the moon, the stars like all the nations around you do. The Egyptians, the Persians, all the other nations worshiped the heavenly bodies and then they made carved things that they would image, worship it. So whether it's something you create or something that God created in the heavens, don't worship either one of them. And he repeats it. Moses repeats what they should teach their children in verse 15. 
Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully. Since you saw no forms on the day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire. Why is this experience of not seeing? They didn't see anything other than this cloud and this fire and so forth. You can't. Why are they being told? Remember what you saw, but you didn't see God. That's the point. What was the first thing that happened that first time at Mount Sinai? Moses is up there. The people go crazy, and they built a golden calf and say, look at your God. Idolatry was so close to them. It was part of their culture. It was part of the human nature to want to see something that they could worship, whether it's the heavenly stars, sun, moon, whatever, or whether it's something that man creates, a statue, an image, a bull, a crocodile. Egyptians had lots of those images. And they came out of Egypt, the house of idolatry, you could call Egypt in their day. Exodus chapter 32 describes how bad it went that first time. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, Tablets that were written on both sides, front and on the back, they were written. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. I'm skipping a few verses. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot and threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, Why did this people do, what did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord be hot. You know the people. They're set on evil. That was the first time. This is the second time. That generation that did that all died in the wilderness. Now this next generation needs to remember that The people of God stood in the presence of God and heard the voice of God tell them commands which included, you shall not make for yourself any carved image. You shall not worship anything in heaven above or bow down to them or serve them. Here's the point for that people and for, get to the application for us. They lived in Egypt, a very great idol-making factory, if you want to call it that. They didn't have factories. That's, That's not what they had. They had carvings of all these images. So they had stone masons and so forth, making images, drawing paintings on walls and so forth. And they worshipped all of them. They worshipped the sun, the moon, the stars, etc. That was their native language, even though they were the people of God in slavery. That's what was common to them. Even in Abraham and Isaac and Jacob's day, Rachel stole her father's gods, household gods. The comparison is between worshiping the true and living God and something that either man has made with his own hands or God has made that should not be worshipped. Any creature that God made, any sun, moon, star that God made. So again, (coughs) watch yourselves very carefully since you saw no form on the day that the 
Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire, beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves in the form of any figure. And beware lest you raise your eyes to heaven. And when you see the sun, the moon, the stars, and all the hosts of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them, things that the Lord your God has made. God rescued his people out of idolatrous Egypt. Out of the iron furnace, it's be his own people as they were at that day. And Moses warns them about a special temptation that's going to come. They will go and they will possess the land that God has promised them to have. They will cross over the Jordan. They will be victorious and possess that land. But they will forget the covenant. You might even say within one generation they forgot it. They will forget the covenant that God made with that people at Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb and that they renewed as well just before they crossed the Jordan. They will stop doing God's commandments and they will make images to worship God and they will place them on all all kinds of hills and various places and they will go more pagan than the Canaanites that were there when God said, Evil of the Canaanites has reached a certain level. Now you go and kill every man, woman, and child in Canaan. And this very people that experienced this and heard the voice of God and knew the commandments will do worse than the Egyptians. That's the human heart apart from the Holy Spirit. No persuasion will work. No spiritual mountaintop experience no matter where. And God went on to say that they will serve images of wood and stone that don't see, don't hear, don't eat, or smell. The foolishness of it, that they're nothing. But, and here's the strange grace of God, God tells them in a future time, after God curses them in various ways, you will search, you all will search after the Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and you will find God. Did they deserve that? Absolutely not. That's God's grace to a bent and wicked people who want to go after anything except the true and living God when they had this supernatural experience and the supernatural revelation that was written in Deuteronomy that they could read any time they went to the synagogue or the temple. People would be able to read it to them. What's the, the conclusion from this passage, logically, is this. Moses is reminding this people to remember, this is your second chance, so to speak. But remember both the experience at Mount Sinai, also called Mount Horeb, and never, 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 ever, ever worship anything but the true and living God without any forms, on any images, lest you forget and your heart would go after those things. Guard your soul, the very core of your being. Well, what's the application for us? Well, it's not too far to say it's the same. 
have a heart, you have a soul, and your heart and your soul are dangerous for you. You and I need to guard our very souls. We need to guard our hearts. We are not in this covenant made at Mount Sinai. We have a new covenant. But we have the same God who is jealous and is a consuming fire. That was the warning in Deuteronomy. Your God is a jealous God, a consuming fire. Same in Hebrews. The call to worship in Hebrews is you haven't gathered together at Mount Sinai. You've gathered together at the true Jerusalem. And that God is the same God that at Mount Sinai said, do not worship anyone else. Worship me in the way I want to be worshipped. Hebrews 12, 28 let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God, our new covenant God, is still a consuming fire. Each Lord's Day, you're commanded to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Moses, the God of King David, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. With no image. No helps by some sort of candles or some sort of hocus-pocus. Or... We're to do it with reverence and awe. Which is why holy, holy, holy was the first hymn. Holy, holy, holy means God is just so different than you and I. Everything about God is so different from what we naturally experience. So each Lord's Day you come into a house of worship, a meeting house. What's the meeting house? It's the meeting with God Almighty. God Almighty is here now in a special way. He was here, the other building, this morning, if you were there. We meet with God, who is a consuming fire, but through the grace of God and the mercies of God, which are all yes and amen in Jesus Christ, we enter with confidence that he's not going to curse us because we're unprepared. But we need to, we need to come with a sense that my soul is really needs to be refreshed by the true and living God. Not some figment of my imagination who by his word and his Holy Spirit is present when we gather in the name of Christ. We enter God's holy temple, not by sight, but by faith. What did the early church devote themselves to in worship? We don't have any liturgy of the early church, not really, during the lifetime of the apostles, the only clue we have is in Acts 2.42. This is, if, if you were to design a worship service, this is a good template. You put in various things in these categories. The early church during the lifetime of the apostles devoted themselves to these things. Now, you could devote yourselves to a lot of things in worship. But during the lifetime of the apostles, the early church devoted themselves to these things to worship the true and living God through Jesus Christ. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, Acts 2.42. That's preaching. I don't bring my message. I bring the message from the word of God. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. Now, the word fellowship is koinonia in the Greek, and it means collection of material things. If you look later, it describes a form of communism, voluntary communism. They had all things in common. There was nobody who had any needs in the church. The assembly of those people, those early Christians in Jerusalem, there was nobody who, 
People would sell things, give the money to the apostles. Nobody had any needs. All necessities were met. So they devoted themselves to teaching, which would be preaching in our, our, our kind of talking, to the collection plate, if you have a collection plate, to the breaking of bread, which is the Lord's Supper. They celebrated the Lord's Supper in a devoted way. So it's almost like saying every time they preached, they did the Lord's Supper. Now, I know you're a pastor, and I, I do the same thing. We have the Lord's Supper every Sunday. We have both. The early church devoted themselves to the teaching, preaching, fellowship, collection of money and whatnot, and breaking of bread and prayers. And the prayers would have been spoken or sung. There's your template. What does God want? What did the apostles say? Well, we're not going to the temple to sacrifice animals anymore. They got thrown out of the synagogue. So when they gathered together as Christians, this is what they devoted themselves to, knowing that God is a consuming fire, but he delights in his people coming to him with the right mental attitude, with their souls prepared, with their souls guarded from going after this or that in their own heart. And just so you understand something about idolatry, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's more than just the outward things that we do. In Ezekiel, idolatry is more than the love of what can be seen. In Ezekiel, there are certain elders, these are leaders of Israel, Ezekiel 14, they came to me, the prophet Ezekiel, and sat before me. In other words, they're inquiring of the prophet, who's God's ordained servant, so to speak, who can speak, thus saith the Lord. They're coming to Ezekiel, and they want to they ask what God wants them to do. They want to inquire, should we do this or that? So they're leaders of the church. It's like they're coming, it's as if the president of the United States came to, you know, this Presbyterian church and said, what should we do? And we, we well, we... We would tell him, supposedly. Certain of the elders of Israel came to me and sat before me, and the word of God came to me. This is what the word of God said to Ezekiel the prophet. Son of man, these men have taken their idols into their hearts and set the stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces. Should I indeed let myself be consulted by them? Outwardly, they want to get some information from this prophet so they could lead Israel. But inwardly, they're idolatrous. Their desires are not for the true and living God. Their desires are not for honoring God. and They're treating God vainly. They just want to know what to do practically. Pragmatism is their God, if you want to say it, in a crass way. Then you go to the New Testament elsewhere in the Bible, in the New Testament, you find out something striking. Covetousness. Your desires can be idolatry. Colossians 2 and Ephesians 5. Colossians 3, rather. Colossians 3. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And then we would figure these. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. When you covet your neighbor's stuff, that's idolatrous because your desire is for something you don't have. And you're making that your Lord and, in a sense, the thing you need to be happy, to be content. And Ephesians 5.5. 5. For you may be sure of this, Paul writes to the Ephesians, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, we would say, yeah, sure, of course. Let me say it again. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, 
that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. The word covetous means to desire something in a greedy way. Have an insatiable desire. We would, in popular terms, you're addicted to this. That's idolatry. Something controls you inside. Your work, you've got to be successful at work. Your desire for, for, for um, if you're a single person, desire for a spouse, perhaps, or desire to impress people. All these insatiable desires. You can never get enough of this praise. You never get enough of this. And it's not enough. And you're always after more, more success, more money, more cars, more whatever. Um, this overwhelming desire is covetousness. It is idolatrous. It's equal to Paul saying it's sexually immoral or impure. And those kind of people who are ruled by that have no part in the kingdom of God. So let me put it a straightforward way. Being controlled by your desire to have more of anything is idolatry. Human beings in general will always worship someone or something other than God. People, every human being is going to worship something. They all want something to fulfill themselves, to make them secure, safe, successful, happy, whatever. Let me give you an example of somebody who's the exact opposite of what we're talking about. This person had everything taken away from him, absolutely everything, stripped bare naked almost, not literally naked. It's the man that God boasted about to Satan. His name is Job. Satan, have you, God says to Satan, have you ever considered Job? He's the best man alive. That's paraphrasing. He shuns evil. He loves me, etc. What does Satan say? You've given him everything a man could want. You won't let me touch him. What happens to Job? God says to Satan, you can do anything you want to Job except don't touch Job. All his kids die a violent death. All his businesses get ruined. He's left poor. He's left homeless. He's left without any family except his wife. His kids are dead. Like I said, he's tragic. Imagine you went home and you found out your house had burned down and all your, your wife and your possessions and your kids are dead. And your bank account, all that investment you had, something crazy happened in the market and now you're, a, you're penniless. And you, you lost your job because of something in the economy went crazy. You have no job, you have no money, you have no savings, no retirement, and your kids are now dead. Would you go to worship the next Sunday? Here's what Job said wife who said, curse God and die. Job arose, tore his robe and shaved his head, fell on the ground and worshipped. He didn't covet those things. He loved God purely and sincerely and God knew that. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away Blessed be the name of the Lord. And the word of God says, in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. How many tragedies would it take for you or I to say, well, Christianity is worthless. 
I've lost my job. I have, I'm bankrupt. It got worse for Job, you know. Satan went to him said, to God and said, let me at him. And Job was so sick, he wished he had never been born. So painful was his disease, whatever it was. Job's wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God? Shall we not receive evil? And all this Job did not sin with his lips. What do you or I say when something happens that doesn't go the way you want? Or you're not getting what you want? Now, sometimes you might say four-letter words. Sometimes you might bite your tongue. You might stomp your feet. You might have a baby tantrum as a, you know, an adult. You don't accept harsh providences because you want what you want. That's the issue here. What is it you really, truly want? Do you want to have a happy, happy comfortable life and all those things you cling to? Or do you want the true and living God to be enough? You see, whatever rules your heart and controls your your time, your talent, your money is what you worship. And we who have been bought with a price by the blood of Jesus Christ should know we don't belong to ourselves anymore. We really don't. Not just ordained men who work for, for nothing, let's say. <laughs> we're good for nothing, let's say. We get paid, but we're good for nothing. Anyway, the point is your heart, your soul is something you've got to go. So whatever that is in your heart that's steering you away from loving God purely, that's your idol. That's your desire that you need to be guarding against, passionately guarding against, seriously, earnestly guarding against. It's a dire warning to not. There's, there's, I won't tell you the name of the person. There's a person who wrote a book, and I think it's the only book of his that I would recommend and I think the title was, Can You Trust Your Emotions? The short answer is, no. No, you can't trust your emotions. So, you have responsibility for yourself to guard your soul, your heart, your desires. And to, to not remember I would suggest you not go and remember, oh, what was it like if I was at Mount Sinai? Forget that. Remember Jesus Christ and what he did for you that has eternal consequences for you and that your treasure's in heaven and you will see him face to face when you depart this world. So treasure Jesus Christ in your heart. Look to him. Look to his beautiful life. Look to his, his extraordinary patience with the apostles and everybody else. Look at how he was merciful to sinners, healing people. And look at his awful death, the shameful, painful death on the cross for you.
for me. And he rose, and he lives, and he's going to bring us to be in our houses or mansions in the new heavens and the new earth. That's what we have. That's our treasure. I'm not bringing any of this with me if I leave. But I'll be seeing Christ, and I'll be with him, and so will you if you have faith. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that we would indeed search after Jesus with all our heart, with all our soul, and that he and our searching for him would be that we find him daily, even hourly, for he is closer than a friend, and he has loved us more than any other human being we've ever known. And he deserves our total devotion. So protect us from loving anything that competes with Jesus. And help us to understand the wisdom of loving Jesus and the utter foolishness and insanity of idolatry. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.